The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 49. Today is Sunday, May 21st, I think. I have an in-person guest, which is a rarity, and it's my favorite kind of guest, the kind of guest that brings whiskey. Uh, So allow me to introduce judo black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, collegiate wrestler, MMA coach, (laughs) whiskey and tequila connoisseur, uh, I'm probably leaving out a few other credentials. I just call you Coach Bill Eastlick. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, hello, everybody. All right. So thanks for coming by. And you, you come with uh, the best kind of gifts. So we could start off talking a little bit about the, the spirit that's tempting our audience here for those watching on YouTube and not listening to the podcast. Um, what, what do we got here? Uh, this is uh, Yamazaki uh, whiskey. This is a uh, 12-year. Um, I believe in 2017 they stopped dating their whiskey, so this is uh, a little bit of a, a special um, scotch. This was given actually. This was given to me by a, a by a student. This was a going away present uh, from my old gym. Uh, so it's uh, fortuitous that uh, we. we uh, we can share it now with uh, with my, some of my new students and uh, another whiskey connoisseur. So seems fitting. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you bringing it by. Uh, let's uh, let's kick things off here and get a little taste of this. Cheers, everybody. It's super smooth. It's got like some light honey notes to it. Yeah. And the aftertaste is like a little woody. Um, I know they they like to age. They use different kinds of wood, like the wood blend, right? Yeah. When they age this. Yeah. There's um. I uh, this was my introduction to kind of uh, Japanese whiskeys, and now I'm sort of kind of baby stepping out and trying other um, uh, brands. Um, I've started with this one, and my friend Matt Nielsen, actually my Muay Thai coach. Um, brought it back uh, as he travels uh, to Thailand. He, of course, he has lay- layovers in Japan. Mm-hmm. He tried this whiskey, was blown away. Said, "I got to bring some of this back for Bill." Um, brought brought some back f- for me, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is great." And it reminded me distinctly because I love Scotch, uh, like Glenmorangie. It has yeah. a little bit of the citrus and a little bit of that. Like he said, I don't know if it's the if. I don't know if it's oak, uh, but it has has a little bit of that that wood note too. And I thought, wow, this is this is serious stuff. And then I began yeah. to try, and now I'm trying like uh, Nika and some of the uh, Yochi and some of the other um, much kind of heavier, smokier peat, um, yeah. peatier types. Because as as I've learned that the Japanese really meticulously studied uh, the 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 Scotch brewing methods and sort of. Uh, are really almost as as varied as as and enthusiastic as they are in Scotland about their whiskey. So. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people don't even realize how serious Japanese whiskey is because they don't export a lot of it. So they're super disciplined, the Japanese as a people. And if they're going to do something, they'll research and they'll make sure they're super thorough in their process and they need to get it exactly right. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's what that's what they do with the whiskey. Have you have you gotten into the hibiki at all? Um, I can't. I can't. I don't think I've I've purchased a bottle. I've 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 had it in in a couple um, uh, Jack Rose uh, whiskey bar and things mm-hmm. in, in DC. I, I've had a couple samples. Yeah, but I haven't purchased any. Yeah, Hibiki is a, a good one. That was that was one of my favorites when I when I went to Japan. Uh, what would you? What would be like the uh, Scotch comparison? Like, is is it on the mm. like a smoky side, a peaty side? Uh, uh, it's 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 a little in between. It, it was super mellow, but it, it did have like that kind of smokiness to it, which I I enjoy. That's what I really like about Scotch. And I I know I know you're not as much a bourbon fan. I'm more of a bourbon guy. I like I like yeah. smoky bourbons that are kind of like scotches. Um, but yeah, this is for sure. The the Japanese whiskeys are for whiskey drinkers. Yeah, they there's yeah no no uh, hiding this whiskey. This this is yeah, um, it tastes it, like whiskey. <laughs> and sure. I, I like to make that dis- distinction um, because there are whiskey drinkers and there are people who drink whiskey. And the, to me, the difference is I call them like the Jack and Coke people. Like, hey, do you like whiskey? Like, yeah, I like a Jack and Coke every now and then. Sure, it's like, sure. But um, you know, for those people. I don't. I, I think if you put something like this in front of them, they may not appreciate it as much. Um, and, and like Jack and Coke is as far as they go, and that's fine. Everybody has their own preference and their own palate or anything like yeah. that. But this is definitely for the people who enjoy like the the uh, the whiskey flavors. I noticed one of the first things you did because I do this as well with a with a good whiskey or a good scotch is add a couple of drops of water to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm uh, I'm 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 still learning more about scotch and things and and um i i've found you know that that um describing the smell and the the, the flavors and aromas is a great way to talk mm-hmm. about what you like about the whiskey so if i can um, go to a bartender and say hey i i, I want something that has like a, a citrus flavor has a bouquet like this or something mm-hmm. like that that the now we're speaking whiskey whiskey language yeah so it's it's like amazing chemistry though what the water actually does to it so for those of you who've never tried it take pour yourself a little uh like nice quality whiskey or scotch and take a sip of it and and see like how powerful it is and uh how hard it hits your nose at first and then add just a couple of drops of water to it, and you'll be surprised how much the flavor just opens up. It's like a real interesting sure. chemistry. It's like, it's almost like inducing a flower to bloom, kind of. And it's just like a cup, just a couple of drops of water. You don't want to totally water it down. You don't want to do it on the rocks, even though you're listening to MMA <laughs> on the rocks. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize this is actually how I prefer to drink whiskey. is is neat, but. Uh, I always say MMA Neat would have been a stupid name for a show. <laughs> so, <laughs> on the rocks, yep. it is. I, I do like s- certain things on the rocks. Um, so, as a as a judo practitioner, this was like your your first martial art. Um, and I want to I want to transit. We could get back into some more great whiskey talk later, but uh, I want to do a little get towards the MMA stuff. So, uh, you did judo and you were a wrestler. Uh, what I want to ask you is, because you've been in the world with a lot of judo players and everything, why do you think a lot of them don't transition to MMA? Because if you think about uh, 
elite MMA athletes who were judokas, I could think off the top of my head of maybe five or six. Um, you know, Ronda Rousey, of course, maybe uh, Carl Parisian, um, uh, Dan Kelly, a couple of them. But why do you think? Rick why do you? Th- yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, why do you think uh, a lot of people in judo kind of choose one path or the other? And that was kind of your story as well, where you kind of, you know, took a little detour to explore MMA and then and circled back to judo. But why sure. do you think that? Why do you think that pattern exists? Um, well, for me, I think mine started a little bit. My path in judo kind of started a little bit different than most uh, judoka. Okay. So I, I had a different goal in mind. Than, than a lot of uh, most judoka. I think, um, and and it's hard, looking back, uh, we have, um, you know, looking back, I don't think there can, we can have a discussion about MMA without Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Sure. And so, so that sort of changes the context. And I think most people in, in judo um, weren't interested in fighting. Mm-hmm. They, you know, most of them were in judo for the love of the sport or the love of uh, martial arts culture and just sure. discipline, fitness, and it, it's it's a different mindset and a different. It's not a, it's not a culture for um, violence and sport fighting, blood sport, prize fighting, and and even even today, um, as uh, there are still many many, you know. Talk, talk to many people in, in the judo community and they will still won't understand or appreciate uh, mixed martial arts as as a sport itself let's not talk you know it's we, we won't talk about all of the the rules and safety mechanisms and refereeing and the quality of the athletes involved but sure. just just the attitude of getting into a cage for violence is really um, they're just, they're just opposed to that culture that that mm-hmm. that seems very unproductive to them so i think that there there's uh, already sort of um cultural things that that set up difference um i think um beyond beyond that um if, if we kind of just narrow things down to um starting um Starting in the late '90s and moving forward, the last two decades, that, mm-hmm. you know that that MMA culture has been a phenomenon in America. And we talk about American judo. Yeah. Um, I think we have to look at um, uh, uh, the the um, breaking away of the gi, the mm-hmm. gi itself, and, and and that you you won't go into any most uh, just you know put put the quotes on there i don't think you'll go into to most judo uh judo studios judo dojos academies anywhere and find them practicing at at a at a routine place nogi judo yeah so so yeah. you're so they are playing by the the rules of randori judo with the gi these are these are the grips there's mm-hmm. no striking you don't you do these things so trying to work how how, how does a judo train practitioner transition to MMA is very difficult because they're not going to do that in the the judo um, hall they're going yeah. to have to take they're going to have to find um, like-minded partners then they're going to have to train additionally or they're going to have to do it at a MMA or jiu-jitsu or you know or academy somewhere and that's just no gi grappling we haven't even talked about the as the aspect of of punching and grappling together which yeah. is it's just truly the integration which is 
maybe the, the most important factor of being able to apply judo in MMA is the ability to punch your way in and out of the clinch fighting, which is where judo is, you know, is effective. So Yeah, for sure. I was always interested by that because if you look at other martial arts and, and other combat sports, there's a natural progression towards MMA. You know, you see boxers transition to MMA. You see wrestlers uh, transition to MMA. You see kickboxers transition to MMA, uh, Taekwondo practitioners. But uh, judo seems to be the one where it, it's kind of like you choose the judo track or you choose the MMA track, and there's not a, a lot of blending there. So I appreciate you kind of breaking that down. That's always kind of... It's always been like a lingering thing for me. And I guess it makes sense. If if you're in a culture where this is what they're doing, we do judo, we do it in a gi, we're not going to train without a gi, uh, then that's what you're going to do if that's what you want to do. And if you don't want to do that, you've got to go somewhere else where they're maybe not training judo. But it's interesting, too, because you see someone like Ronda Rousey come along and nobody really had an answer for her at first because she's doing things like these throws right into submissions because uh, there's a time limit in judo once you hit the ground you Absolutely. have to get a submission in within 30 seconds Is um, that depending on the rule set it, it's, or? Um, well the, the the times are usually established for the for the length you have to pin someone mm -hmm. but um, for for instance if you were we're, we're not in a, in a pinning position, but say working or, or trying to pass someone's guard, if, if the referees thought you weren't making progress to a pinning position, they're going to shut it down right away yeah. and you're going to re reset. So, and, and you know, if you, if you watch uh, uh, high level, if you watch uh, uh, um, international judo level, say, and you see Nawazi, you see arm bars or things, they happen right off the throws, yeah. immediate transitions, right in the subs, because it's you don't want to waste that energy in judo. If you don't um, mm -hmm. have, have the, um, the technical ability to, to force the sub reaction right away, because when the judo players hit the ground, they're going to get real defensive, right. and it's going to be very hard to make things happen without expending a lot of energy which could cost you the match yeah and not only that usually when you're competing in judo you have to do multiple matches in a day yeah absolutely you know like yeah, yeah definitely dozens <laughs> i don't i mean it, it seems like it seems like a lot even at the high level at the olympic level these guys are and and women are competing uh an yeah, insane you amount three or four matches a, a, a day and and at that level at that international or elite level that's yeah. pretty that's pretty exhausting but for mma fighters who maybe don't train any judo they're used to all right if i get taken down you know i have my guard game i could start working and i'll have time to work into a better position or try to stand back up but when you go against a high level judo player that's like all right you're down and guess what you're in a submission too almost simultaneously it's hard to it's hard to come up with an answer for that, um, so that always intrigued me. But you know, like you said, you you've got to have a unique recipe of someone who is training in judo and then also has like the MMA track as well. Yeah. So cool, awesome, awesome breakdown there. So I got to ask you something as uh, with your experience as a coach. Now you've been involved in. MMA for quite a while and you've been a corner man um, how how confusing are like the varying rule sets because I know you've coached and cornered for 
amateur and professional where the the rules vary a little bit and now there's a lot of controversy with what they're calling the new unified rules but they're not really unified because certain states haven't adopted them so with, with the knees sure so i'd like to get your perspective like how important is it for you to stay up to date on the rule sets uh so that you know you can talk to your fighters and help them understand but not be overbearing because they have to worry about a fight. So how, how do you go, go about that? Like how, how much do you study the rules uh, before cornering somebody? And then how much time do you spend going over the rules with the fighter? What's the process there? <clears throat> well, um, I, I immediately thought of um, I, I got the opportunity to corner my friend uh, Bashir Ahmad in 1FC in, uh, in Jakarta, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And, and 1FC um, is an Asian uh, um, organization. They have, they have fights in Japan, in the Philippines, in Singapore, in, in, uh, in, in China. So they're, they're really all, all over the Asian market. And just like Pride and, and, and these guys, they, 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 you know, head kicks to a downed opponent, soccer kicks are legal, mm-hmm. and um, the the um, our mindset. Uh, there was there was a time uh, during during the fight uh, during Bashir's fight where he uh, dropped his opponent uh, down to the ground. He hit him. He cracked him. His opponent stumbled back and was sitting. Yeah. Um, had uh, had we probably been more mindful about the opportunity like say hey, this is a place where soccer kicks are legal that might have been like right at that moment Bashir probably could have um, very quickly have ended ended the fight with that moment mm. but because because he was um, you know under the training mindset that hey that's this isn't an op this isn't an option in, in the US here he ran over and began to throw punches getting close enough to allow his opponent who was a, a great jiu-jitsu practice, practitioner um, uh, to get back in the fight and, and shoot in on a takedown okay. so he, so um, and and coming out of that fight I thought damn like we uh, we didn't take uh, we, that was a time where we uh, didn't take the opportunity of 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 the soccer kick rule mm-hmm. into our training effect, and so it, it, that was that was one of those experiences um, that, that definitely sticks in my mind as a coach to yeah. be, to be more mindful. Um, we just had fights last night for amateurs, and one of one of the um, questions I, I went in with the new changes here are are, are um, 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 what are, what are the rules three you know what what are the situation we talk about. Um, what? How did they define back of the head? Mm-hmm. Um, different different refs will give you different things. Some will tell you the mohawks. Some will tell you the spheres. Yeah. They're, they're, you want to you want to be um, you want to know what's what the referees and the and the um, the sanctioning body of the of venue are thinking. So 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 that you in your mind know where to make those strikes. Um, were elbows legal? And the elbows weren't legal. Fortunately. Um, 20, branding a 25 second KO uh, in round one so that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't a problem for him last night but, but yeah. we, we definitely think about think about those things um, as as a coach um, I, I definitely want to be in in um, 
interjecting those into um, the fights, you know, um, particularly something about elbows, mm-hmm. be- because you don't um, and and um, you probably shouldn't train elbows, even light elbows during during sparring because of the danger of cutting, especially if you're if yeah. you're a professional fighter training with other professional fighters. You know, this is this is how you make your living. You don't need your head split open in six stitches mm-hmm. uh, twelve weeks out before your fight. So yeah, um, but um, we forget about those elbows, and then I think we need to address them when we go back to working the bat or working the pads because yeah. we don't we we don't want to because i don't spar with them kind of take that tool out of your arsenal yeah. because in the fight that could be you know elbows could be a, a game-changing strike sure so. yeah it, it so you would say that as soon as they find out they have a fight under a certain rule set you want to start implementing those rules into the training at that moment so elbows aren't allowed we're not even doing elbows for pad work anymore yeah yeah for sure for sure and that's you know and and you know yeah it's just sort of sort of okay if, if if that's the rule we're going to take um you know and and that that may be as simple as okay you can't throw elbows but Guess what? You've got three other hooks on that side. You can throw uppercuts. You can throw mm-hmm. hooks and overhands. You know, you're just going to change the weapon. You can't use elbows. Well, we we still have other short, um, short range strikes. So yeah, it's it's quite an issue because I feel like a, a lot of other sports don't really have this issue, and if they do, it's not as serious. Like the rules change in football, I think every season, and if it doesn't work out, they they change them back or you know. Sure. Well, they, I I can. So the, the the kind of elbow rule and, and it, it sort of um, this is an area I've always had um, a bit of hesitation or I've always had I, I should say I've got my own opinion about uh-huh. um, is that is that um, depending on on which state you go to um, and which um, which uh, promotion or which sanctioning body um, the promotion is under the rules can change and that's particularly. I've noticed in the case of amateur, both amateur uh, MMA fighters and elbows. Uh-huh. For instance, in Ohio, uh, or I believe Ohio, PA, and New Jersey, maybe, or all have similar similar mindsets or similar rule sets, rather, for amateurs, um, there are absolutely no elbow strikes of any kind uh, allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you were an amateur in, in the state of Virginia... Um, you essentially the rules are the same as pro rules but um they are three minute rounds okay and and that you know i thought that that coming from a place that didn't allow amateurs uh to get elbowed i thought was um was a a wise decision sure these are amateurs they're not experienced yet they're not even getting paid for these fights Mm -hmm. um let's not split their face open right or risk blinding somebody or something like that for, yeah. with one strike. We can take a strike out of, of our arsenal and for the sake of amateurs and they'll, you know, as they groom their careers um, they'll have to now you know, once they become a pro guess what? The the risk of getting elbowed comes in. Whereas, yeah. in. whereas in Virginia it's, you're pretty much, you're fighting with elbows and heel hooks and, and mm-hmm. all of the rules of, of pro MMA debut fight. Fight, sure. num- fight number one elbows which which i always thought was kind of um ironic because maybe even on the same card you could have amateur mma or amateur muay thai fighters mm-hmm. right fighting and and there and and or 
or across the street there are there's an amateur Muay Thai fight and they're using the Muay Thai sanctioning body and they're not allowed to use elbows or they have to use padded yeah. elbows until they have they have um, had uh, three fights or maybe five fights or different rule sets yeah so I thought here's Here's a debut MMA fighter, probably with less experience than, than, than the Muay Thai fighter over here. He's been training for nine months, and he's not even a blue belt yet. He's over here, you know, they're they're elbowing the crap out of each other on, they're doing ground and pound, and they're in the yeah. clinch fighting, they're dirty boxing. Meanwhile, here's two guys in the sport of Muay Thai, this, in the art of eight limbs over here, and they're not even allowed, they're not allowed to elbow each other. Yeah. You know, and that inconsistency and that that change has always been one of those um I wish I wish there was a a, a sort of a, a a universal kind of recognition. Yeah. Um and and you know for a, a tiered kind of rule system in which you could groom in um, um, amateur MMA athletes through their career, you know, zero through three or five fights, these rules, five to five to ten fights. Okay, mm-hmm. now you're you're on the cusp of turning professional. You can get in more open rules, yeah. you know, pro, pro rules. So, something like they do in um, in the, the Dutch kickboxing system. If you go to um, Holland or the, you know, the Netherlands, yeah. they, have a, they have a very um, methodical process about op- about um, as the fighters gain experience, mm-hmm. the rule set broadens um, so they can sort of groom up and you know they, they lose the shin guards, they open up, they add knees to the head, they add elbows as, as they mature in their fight careers. So do you think it should be like that with the amateur system? Because amateur MMA is... Is still a fairly new system. Uh, I can I can't even remember when when quote unquote amateur started. But in the beginning, you want to be an MMA fighter, great. You got an MMA fight, you're a professional now. Um, but now we have an, an amateur system, and sometimes they have altered rules. The, I think the the most important thing would be consistency across the board. But do you think the amateurs should be eased in? Just to get their feet wet with with some restrictions, or do you think it should be the same rules as professionals, so they can train the same way, whether they're an amateur or, or professional, and and get that experience? Like, which which side of the fence are you on there? Um, I think it, it should be a, a, a tiered system. I definitely think that there should be. Um, I, I I agree that the amateur system is is a recent development um i would say that even back um um in uh, 2006 2007 when when um, i first got to see um amateur mma sort of come about and 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 sort of became involved in 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 young uh, amateur mma fighters um that that the range of experience um is wild and that Mm -hmm. you know um and at the same time people as you said was this I'm fighting MMA, and they're fighting uh, a pro debut with relatively little amateur experience. Yeah. Um, now, um, um, MMA has been been around long enough, and I think I think we have come to to realize that you have to get um, you have to develop a, a career, a successful career, mm-hmm. and that requires ring time and experience. The best way to get that, you know, before you turn professional, is an amateur to groom those up. Um, so I think just like uh, just like amateur boxing or or uh, amateur kickboxing or other combat sports, I think I think we need to um, uh, 
protect those people more um, earlier in their career mm -hmm. and um, that way if if they um, decide that MMA is not for them if they're um, the one and doneers yeah uh, whether they win big that when they whether whether they win that first fight and check off the the bucket yeah or or they go out and they get rocked and they're, and they're come like wow like I, this was way harder than I ever imagined it would be sure and they never fight again um, or there's people that are just dabble the people yeah. that that get get um, just a few fights they there's there's you know yeah there's maybe maybe or they're they're even like like I was I was really at the end of my athletic competition career but um, I felt like uh, I was in in good enough shape and good enough um, uh, health that I could compete and it also helped me sort of make my name I hadn't um, uh, I had been known uh, in the area as probably someone who was either known through um, through some boxing or through wrestling mm -hmm. and and I, I moved away um, and when I moved back I was I was here for MMA and I don't think people people realized um, uh, um, that that I had a school or that I was that, that we were doing MMA mm -hmm. and, I th and for me it was an opportunity to kind of, of compete and raise awareness so um, I, I took my last three fights um, at, at my final fight was at age 33 and and I had no aspirations of, of turning pro at that point I was like I'm you know I'm done I, I feel like uh, um, my, I went out on a win yeah and, and I feel like I did what I want wanted to accomplish here and and now I can put the focus back on my my students and my school. So sure, you know that was it for me. But I'm 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 definitely definitely think that that we should have um, sort of a, a universal um, MMA uh, system for amateurs in the sport, and I think it, it would help the sport tremendously. Yeah, uh, across the board, across um, state by state. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's kind of cool that you you got that experience under your belt, and then you wanted to to focus on coaching. And teaching, which is, you know, a very, you know, noble thing to do. Um. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I ever really started uh, 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 for any kind of of uh, you know to be yeah noble. Uh, Glory. Def yeah. I def definitely wasn't the goal. Uh, in fact, that first MMA school. Um, and let me just. I'll just rewind it back. And that that yeah. for me. Um, uh, I was, uh, uh, as you mentioned, I was training judo and all of these things, and and uh, my wife and I decided to to uh, to move, and we moved back to a, uh, a rural area in Ohio Valley, and uh, I was pretty isolated, mm -hmm. and so so there I was back home where I was as as a kid, and I felt like I had training partners around. I knew where the best jujitsu guys were. But they were forty minutes away. Yeah. I knew some 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 great kickboxers and Muay Thai guys in the Ohio Valley, but they were they were about an hour away. And Probably friends, in the other direction. Friends, exactly, <laughs> and my friend Stefan Stratmeyer, in, in you know excellent Muay Thai coach, and he was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So you know I, I knew of, I knew of uh, some some other guys in Wheeling in the Ohio Valley, and so I was running around to everybody else. Yep. And you know and and I and I thought at the same time I thought none of these people really do MMA. You've got Muay Thai, you've got Jiu Jitsu, you've got wrestlers. You know, yeah. I, I could find, I could, you know, hit, throw a rock and hit a great wrestler in, in the Ohio Valley. Sure. 
Um, but none of these guys were doing MMA and none of them were kind of training it cohesively. None of them were... Putting all the pieces together. What, what yeah. I had learned, to me, what was important about MMA was the integration of these combat skills about, like you said, judo and striking. Yeah. Try to, try to grab and clinch and throw someone who's trying to take your head off or kick you or knee you. Yeah. Like, it's a different world. And vice versa. Try successfully kicking someone over and over or punching someone over and over. Who wants to, who wants to grab you and hit you with an osotogari and, and plant you into the ground? And that was, that was the training that I sort of, I realized that I needed and that if, if, if my buddies were going to be successful, this was the way we all had to train. Yeah. So my first, my, my first school that, that I ran was, was more like big brother, little brothers. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt about those guys. I think if, if I had had conversations with them now, um, very different than the converse, than, than the way I feel about, um, my students at, at Fairfax Jiu-Jitsu or, or students that are coming through the intro program at Clearwater. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, that was more like a, a, a brother. I'm just, I was just a guy more experienced and a little bit further down the tracks, but we were all, we were all training for fights together. Yeah. So it was, it was just like, um, I'm going to do this. Oh, and you've got a fight in 12 weeks. Okay, now we're just going to merge into your fight camp and we're going to roll into this guy's fight mm-hmm. camp. And we're just going to stay training. So I was just the older brother yeah. in that way. Never never really had any big aspirations of being the head guy. I was just, you know. Yeah. It's one of those things that it should be common sense. Like, if you're going to do mixed martial arts, you should have, you know, somebody at the helm who's trying to put all the pieces together instead of having everything siloed. But I think a lot of, like everything else, common sense isn't so common. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that, and a lot of people also don't realize why there's only a handful of elite gyms, because only a handful of places have all of those pieces, and they have experts in all of those pieces, but they also have an overseer that's yeah, kind yeah. of orchestrating everything and making sure everything's mm-hmm. flowing and, and, and being cohesive in that space. So like your, your Greg Jacksons and your Matt Humes and... Your, uh, Duke yep. Rufus's or a couple that that come to mind. Like you need, you need that kind of puppet master to to kind of make sure all those pieces are working well together. Great call on Matt Hume, by the way. <laughs> Complete. I, I love Matt Hume. The guy is is uh, so so underrated. Um, such such a, a an amazing knowledge mm-hmm. uh, of of MMA techniques and and skills. His experience. Uh, in the sport, um, guy guy is uh, one of my favorites. Just really, really th- think really up, really highly of him and his team. So, yeah, he was one of he was one of the first that kind of I think it clicked for him that like wait a second, we got all these pieces, but we got to put the puzzle together, and like that that's kind of the trick. And I mean, even now at the highest level, you still have guys who are successful, but. You know, they had that one dimension, and they're incredible at that dimension. But you wonder, you know, what could they have been if they had that kind of training where everything was cohesive? Or maybe, you know, what worked for them was, you know, taking that one track. You get somebody like a Damian Maya who can just... Sure. Yeah, well, I think that may be the greatest thing about mixed martial arts mm-hmm. the, the, it, it, is that it's constant there is no one 
way to do things. Yeah. And and, and that that's like trying to capture the magic formula. Yeah. It, it's like an alchemist trying to turn lead into gold. Mm-hmm. Like be, because if you try to copy someone's formula, you, you won't replicate it. There won't be other Greg Jacksons. There won't be another Matt Hume or Pat Militech or someone yeah. because it's the the chemistry of the people in the room at the right time. Um, um, striking and, 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 and getting that and there's so many different ways as you said there can be the the, the one the guy the Damien Maya or or the guy that's mm-hmm. you know his his uh, you know 80% of his success is 20% of his of his uh, uh, his efforts you know and he is you know clearly everyone the jujitsu you know all of us jujitsu yeah. people are, are, are just you know we're, we're friend you know Damien Maya bandwagon guys yeah. because, <laughs> because you know he I love that Damian Maya made made the, the 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 track change that he got off of the track that so many other uh, jujitsu guys were on, and that trying to um, stand and stand and bang yeah. like, like 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 they got a new toy. They were they were they were uh, fam- you know great accomplished jujitsu guys, mm-hmm. and they, they went to the striking round, and yeah. it's such a different game because you're going from chess now to this. To me, striking is so much more—it's so much more random and less controlled and chaotic. You know, you can zig when you should have zagged and caught something. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's so you know where where jujitsu is so position based and grappling is so you know position oriented. But uh, Damian Maya went out there and and he got better at wrestling and yeah. he went out there and just proved that you know and and. Um, that you didn't have to be a great collegiate wrestler. You have to be an MMA wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he went out and he does his thing. And I still, I look at him and I, he's, you know, I'm like, oh, he's got his head on the outside and he's running this single. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I can't, and he gets, you know, but, gets but, <laughs> but, you know, he gets that fight to the ground. And as soon as he gets down, he's, he's passing the right. I mean, like, like, Everything about his wrestling, I think, no, no, no. But as soon as he fight hits the, the ground, I'm thinking like, yeah, master. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, he's right away. He dumps, he dumps, he dumps the butt down to the ground, and he's passing the guard, and, yeah. and he's he's on top of him, and he's dominant, dominant, you know. And you know, he, there's a guy that that's like that, and then you know, just watch a watch Bellator and watch a guy like Rory McDonald, yeah. who is is one of those. He's he's a he's a new generation guy. He came up through mixed martial arts with yeah. with Faraz, and he is he's a complete package. Mm-hmm. You know that that kid is he's he's athletic. He's 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 got all got, got all these components and all the tools. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a, a major weakness in his, in his game. Yeah. You know, um, and and preparing for him is is literally just preparing for the man itself, not against not against a particular style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great example because if you're if you're gonna fight Damian Maya, you know exactly what you have to worry about, yeah. uh, and it's you know you could focus on avoiding that one thing. If you're fighting a guy who's good at everything, there's no avoiding. You have to just match him skill for skill yeah. everywhere. So, um, I I think it's interesting. It, it's confusing and it makes sense at the same time that more people haven't put together that you know you have to have all all the pieces and I, I like what you said too how everybody's different things work for different people like I think body type plays a big part of it sure, like sure. sure I would love to strike like Anderson Silva but <laughs> I, I'm not six one with long limbs I can't you know throw throw kicks like that and you and I have had discussions um, when it comes to jiu-jitsu because early in our jiu-jitsu careers we struggled with triangle chokes because you know yeah 
Yeah. We're we're yeah. stockily built, and we yeah. don't have. I can't throw up a triangle like like Anthony Pettis can, and just right. like land right in it. Yeah, There's yeah. got to be some details and some maneuvering and and uh, some focus. Like some people have the body type to do well with certain things, and and then some people have to have to kind of work at it and then find that style that works for them. But I think I think those are two good examples of Damian Maya and Rory McDonald. Did you catch Rory's fight on Friday? I, I did. I did. Um, I, I thought that that um, um, probably I, I I wouldn't think it was probably um, showed the the um, the the level, you know, I, I thought that, that um, it kind of I don't think it I don't think it was an exceptional performance by Rory McDonald as mm-hmm. much as it showed that Paul Daly isn't uh, you know he he was there's a reason that he was let go by the UFC and was now yeah kind of you know he's now a journeyman mm-hmm. you know as, as as hard as that is to imagine with a guy with such a powerful hook yeah uh, um, is 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 now kind of a, a journeyman fighter now you know will will Rory steamroll Bellator and then what what's next what's next for him he's, he's, he's gonna take on the winner of uh lima yeah and um i forget who he's fighting for the championship but i think that's already set in stone but yeah paul daly's another example of what we were talking about a guy who's excellent at one thing but has always struggled against wrestlers and he, even in his post-fight speech he was like well he didn't stand and fight with me and it's like sure. well don't don't let him take you down, and then <laughs> you can. Well, yeah, you know, I I think there's always going to be, um, th- there, there's going to be those guys, you know, um, uh, there, there's going to be uh, the Mark Hunts, the Melvin Manhoffs, the yeah. Paul Dailies, and, and other um, explosive knockout guys. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can get some fool um, in mixed martial arts um, to stand in front of them long enough when those grenades go off, yeah. boom, it's, you know, the fights are over. But, um, as you said, if, if they don't evolve or if they haven't evolved, uh, at this point in mixed martial arts, then, you know, um, we'll be taken down. I, I, I actually, uh, you know, I was actually surprised, um, when Rory took Paul down, Paul recovered, uh, a pretty good defensive guard and he, yeah. he kind of, um, um, he, he, you know, it's like this is a guy that that he he knows he's not um, he's not in a position to um, to threaten mm-hmm. Rory, Rory at this position, but he was doing um, everything he should. And I you saw, I saw from what I saw as as a as a jujitsu guy, I saw um, uh, Rory playing that that um, GSP kind of guard defense style where he keeps his head very much over the other person's head and very yeah. it makes it very hard for 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 the bottom person to shrimp and move effectively and get up and, and, and get going get his hips rotated and, yeah. and I and I thought you know Rory's playing a very um, conservative uh, uh, um, uh, establishing position so he could he could land these these strikes and beat beat Paul Daly up from this position yeah rather than engage Paul Daly in a jiu-jitsu match here you know Rory took the uh, he, he took he took the um, the intellectual route like here I'm going to win this fight I'm going to win it round by round I'm going yep. to piece him up and play play smart jujitsu yeah and I I like that he made the GSP reference they both have that like perfect posture 
yeah, and it, like it that. De- definitely definitely have have um, in, in, in that um, game. I don't I can't remember now if that was um, if it was really um, GSP and maybe the Dan Hardy fight. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of Dan Hardy and, and Paul Daly maybe maybe it's a, a good game plan against British strikers. Sure. But um, uh, um, when GSP kind of did that weird tripod base kind of butt up head forward game, yeah. I, I thought at first I thought well it's kind of odd way to pass like you're not going to get very far. Then I realized it wasn't so much as passing, but by keeping his head and his body up over basically at, at level mm-hmm. with, with his opponent, his opponent could never throw his guard up to endanger him. And that allowed GSP um, to, to really, by, by forcing the head yeah. control, to really dominate and crush from inside the guard without ever worrying about yeah. um, getting caught. Yeah, or, or worry about... Uh, getting stood back up. He's yep, one of the right, few guys exactly. who's able to inflict damage from inside the guard and stay active enough and not get tied up to... Uh, because those guys just want to get a stand-up. Guys like, you know, Dan Hardy, I think, has a more solid ground game than Paul Daly. But Paul Daly is like, I want to lock this guy up. I want to stand back up, and I want to let my hands go For sure. against this guy. I want to rewind a little bit to something, a point you made earlier when we are talking about the rule sets and different mindsets and you're thinking about whether or not you could be throwing elbows. And um, it's a popular topic in MMA and some people might even be sick of hearing about it, but the possibility of Conor McGregor transitioning to boxing for a super fight with Floyd Mayweather, how does that kind of play mentally with a guy who spends so much time focusing on all these different disciplines and then he's got to restrict himself only focus on one discipline and he's got to do it against a guy who's been doing it since he could walk and has never lost so i mean do you have thoughts on how this could go or or would you even want to see it or i i think it's uh i don't think it it uh I don't really think it takes much analysis to to um, say who has who has the odds or who has the, like say you know Floyd Mayweather Jr. has been doing this uh, his whole life he's been yeah. groomed for for this um, if you are if um, Conor McGregor who had a good um, uh, uh, good background or training in boxing before he got into MMA. Well, that's that's great, and that will definitely pay dividends in MMA. Yeah. But if you try to take that single aspect, and really, I mean, boxing is one of the most narrow paradigm, but most narrow rule sets of combat sports there is. You know, almost all of the com- you know Muay Thai has has a, a varied striking and clinching. Judo has mm-hmm. you know the clinching nawaza. Jiu-Jitsu has takedown. You know, um, boxing is boxing. Yeah. Boxing is really. Um, 10 punches and it's two, two men throwing 10 punches mm-hmm. a combination of, the, of these punches and um, expecting expecting to to dominate Floyd, Mather, Floyd Mayweather a guy who is literally known for not taking damage who who doesn't who won't trade he's not a 
he's not a Mexican fighter. He's 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 a defensive fighter. He yeah. he comes from the old style um, uh, American school of 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 strategy, and he you know he deep bladed stance rolls his shoulders, does mm-hmm. a lot of you know complete you know movement. He's he's not a a Roberto Duran fighter yeah. fighter to stand in stand in a bang. I, I think it's. It's just a, a paycheck. Yeah, I, I don't. I really think it's it's just um, it's Connor pulling the the, the final um, uh, 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 hat trick in the trash talking. Yeah, you know to talk himself into um, uh, uh, a deep you know, to, to retirement fund. Yeah. you know it's yeah. uh, something for his kids. Well, yeah, Maybe something for those ba- that baby on the way. Yeah, you know, well, the baby was born a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So, I, so I, you know, yeah, he's. Got and it. I think with Connor being the the biggest braggadash, you know, the biggest boldest like trash talker in MMA, yeah. taking that to boxing for one big paycheck, mm-hmm. you know, I think. There have been these James Tony, uh, um, uh, Randy Couture things in the past. Yeah. Even going back to like uh, Judo Jean Labelle and 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 you know and, and or or uh, the uh, the famous uh, Japanese wrestler uh, is it Aoki against um, against um, Muhammad Ali, where Muhammad Ali was actually jumped up jumped up on the ropes to get away from the, the grappling, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think there's there there's these. Um, promotional crossovers yeah, that, yeah. that'll come up um, but uh, right now those those are the, that's you know um, yeah I, and I think uh, um, Mayweather can sit back and confidently um, like entertain the thought of this yeah um, this Irish kid who it was a promotion promotional yeah. marvel like doing all the work to, yep. to make this fight um, while he sits back and and does what he normally does, train for the elite boxers. Yeah, I mean, you know, think look at the who's who of that Floyd has put away, and I think all of them would take out Connor. Yeah. So it, it oh just, yeah. It just seems fitting that you know. Yeah, I don't think he would be calling it, it, any it's, of it's them a, it's out. A, it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a fight, you know. We we love the fact, you know, that that you know. Two men, two men in a ring. Anything yeah. can happen on any day. Yeah. But let's be practical. If 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 they're both trained well and no one is hiding, you know, no mm-hmm. one's pulling a Pacquiao yeah. and hiding a major injury that they, you know, that they didn't bother to inform someone about. Yeah. I think it's an easy, it's an easy payday for for both of them. For Floyd, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah both get a payday, but I, but I think it's it's yeah. you know. It's it's a, it's an easy win for Floyd. Yeah, and for Connor, if he loses, like, oh well, so what? I'm not a boxer. Um, I'll go back to my championship belts and yeah. MMA now. Yeah. Um, but I think like you hear like all these analysts like, oh well, Connor's stronger, and if he lands this punt, uh, like I feel like they're just trying to to influence the odds makers. And uh, but at the end of the day, I'm gonna watch it. I mean, I know it's a spectacle. I know what what the odds are realistically, but well, we love a spectacle. If uh, you know, if um, if 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 pride uh, uh, gave us anything uh, over the years, aside from aside from the the great um, uh, welterweight fights and battles, you know, it gave us those those uh, crazy freak show matches too. Oh you know? yeah, for sure. I'll never forget. Uh, um, the Bob Sap 
Noguera power bomb. Like, like I felt like after that fight, like jujitsu. <laughs> like, if you don't know jujitsu, you're like, you know, like, like you're done. Like, you'll never be a great fighter. Like, that was like one of those moments where you're like, like Noguera was like the king of jujitsu. Yeah. For for at that moment, big, and, and still to this day, I, I really am when I when I look back. At those fights, I, I look back and I think about, like, the area. Like, Noguera's, like, like string of submissions fight, his wins, yeah. before Fedor. And I think Fedor came in and he had that, like, from that point on, it was, like, sophisticated ground and pound. Mm-hmm. Because Fedor was the first guy to come in and start to hand fight with Noguera. Yeah. And, like, do crossover and two-on-one grabs and breaks. And then he would whack him a couple times. And then, you know, he wouldn't take Noguera out, but he kind of just... He'd whack him in the head a couple times. Yeah. And then sort sort of break Noguera down. And Noguera's, you know, would just be just, you know, that more... Uh, um, uh, less cognizant or less, less effective in his guard mm-hmm. after... Getting cracked by Fedor a couple times in, in those early That'll fights. That'll do it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, those those freak shows were awesome. Like I, The one that comes to mind for me was when they had Don Fry fight that, pro, I think he was a pro wrestler, Tanaka? Takayama? Takayama. Big blonde, yeah. big blonde guy? Yeah, when they were just, they just grabbed each other by the back of the head and started. Yeah, yeah I think that was, that was like beautiful. Like I don't, I don't even know if that, like I don't even think you could like script something as as like effectively like mutual like head hockey punch like yeah. we're just gonna stand here and just hold each other's head and, and it's like and a s- like a cartoon s- smash it you know yeah um, man unreal but, yeah. that's like that's that's one of the all-time most exciting fights i feel like and it's yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty up there for like electric, like just crazy, like the the the, the craziness that that those old fights used to bring. Yeah, you know for sure. I feel like uh, you know Bellator tried to get into the the freak show game a little bit. You know they bring in they bring in guys like uh, like Bobby Lashley from oh, yeah, from sure. WWE and yeah yeah the, you know like uh, Dada Five Thousand and. Uh, you know, bringing Ken Shamrock. Now they're talking about uh, bringing Matt Hughes. They're t- they're talking to Matt Hughes, and they want him to fight Hoist Gracie again. <laughs> and really? this is like, because Matt Hughes has come out like recently. I don't know if you heard Vitor Belfort went public and said like, "Hey, why don't we start like a masters league, so like some of the older guys can still compete uh, only against each other." Hmm. And then like a lot of people kind of laughed at him and. Um, Matt Hughes came out and he was like, "Hey, you know, Vitor is talking about this Masters League. I'd I'd be interested in that. I wanna I wanna compete again." So then Scott Coker, you know, his rate. Obviously, I don't think the UFC would let Matt Hughes come back as big of a legend as he is. I would hope not. I, I yeah. really, you know, I, I as you know, I love I love I love fighters. You know, these guys are 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 some of the best men I know. Yeah, they're my my some of my best friends. Mm-hmm. But but um, as, as a group, we don't we don't know when enough is enough and when yeah. to, when to when to stop fighting and when to say like it's over. You yeah. Know? Because it, it's you know and, and and I can understand it. You know there's there's you know uh, every day I think about like like you know 
make a comeback. <laughs> one, more, one more fight, and you know, and I know, to, you know, I there, there's, you know, I've got, I've got friends, um, uh, you know, I've Clark Wright, you know, Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Clark Wright, um, retired Special Forces, uh-huh. uh, was, you know, took, had his last, his last MMA fight at 58. Wow. You know. Um, and so, so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's always, you know, could always get that time, but I always think, mm-hmm. think uh, you know, I, and I, I don't know, Matt Hughes, Vitor Belfort and those guys. And, um, yeah, I just don't think I don't, I don't as, as a fan, as, as, as someone, uh, I don't want to see those guys yeah. take any more brain damage mm-hmm. or any possible more, you know concussions yeah. or any other danger than they already have in their careers yeah they've already put it on the line and have gotten you know the accolades and the our our respect as fans i would like to see them you know may you know stay in the industry but in some you know in, in some way that doesn't involve them killing brain cells yeah i feel like there are very few of them who I guess find something else when it's when it's over because I think the the biggest issue with them is they feel like it's going to last forever and this is always going to be their source of income and this is always going to be what they do. I'm I'm a fighter. I fight. It's what I do. I'm you know, if you're 40 years old, that's not the age to retire, but you've got to make a transition into something else and I feel like you know, very few of them do it. Well, that that's what kind of surprises me that you mentioned that, and I, I didn't know that, that that Matt Hughes because I thought that that Matt was one of those kind of guys that that um, between his his family farm and mm-hmm. and the um, he had he had a very uh, a successful I believe it was was the Hit Squad or something like that in 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 Illinois there he he was um, he had a successful successful MMA gym yeah uh, there and his work with the UFC and things. That I thought, like, here's a guy who who had accomplished a lot, and that he had a lot of um, uh, uh, um, opportunities within within the within the business of mixed martial arts that he could get involved with. Yeah. That wouldn't involve him fighting. Now, you yeah. know, maybe it's just something he feels unsatisfied with. Well, know? he did have an office job quote unquote with the UFC but when uh, sort of like a Chuck Liddell like a representative exactly but when when they were bought out by WME both Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes were let go they were basically like hey you guys I I remember I remember um, seeing something on the net about Chuck being let go yeah they were basically like you guys are just collecting checks and like somebody was like looking at the books and saying like what what are we paying these guys to do right um but then you know you have very few of them are able to go on and be successful like you know matt sarah has his gyms and he's doing uh you know he's doing going the media route and he's he's on tv and he's working for the ufc does a podcast think of, think of how many other you know matt I think it's it's a lot harder, and you see the you see this now, and and maybe it's just because I've been around jujitsu uh, long enough. But but at a time when there were much much fewer, I mean, it was so I rem- I'll never forget the, the the very first time I saw a purple belt in jujitsu. Uh-huh. You know, we were like, whoa, like that's like holy cow, like they would kill us, like that. <laughs> you know, he walked by at the tournament, and we were just you know we were just like awestruck like mm-hmm. purple belt 
whoa, mm. you know. Um, and, and at that time, you know, um, those were some of those those first um, Henzo Henzo Gracie black belts and these these guys in there. And that's I felt like Matt Sarah was one of those early pioneers in MMA and jujitsu yeah. that he could make his living. And when he got his black belt and he he went out and then be, you know um, really set his 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 territory and his family kind of expanded and, and we're kind of in the in the same you know we, we kind of you know um, training at, at Gracie Clearwater uh, I think Rob Kahn is one of those guys Rob Kahn's mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hoist Gracie's first black belt um, and American black belt yeah and and Rob is kind of you know um, being a black belt he kind of moved to Tampa and then his uh, his student base you know his his first group of black belts kind of got their black belts and then mm-hmm. they they expanded and the family grows and grows. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think, I think it would be harder for uh, these generations coming out now. You get your black belt now. Well, there's probably a black belt um, just, you know, 10 blocks away or yep. across town. There's probably another black belt sure. out there as, as well. And it's, it's a definitely a different market than, than those, you know, like you said, a, a Matt Sarah or someone back, back in those days kind mm-hmm. of beginning to... Uh, have a career yeah and he established his gyms early I, I saw a recent interview with him where he said I took the paychecks from my first two UFC fights which you know couldn't have been a lot back then and sure. he's like I took those paychecks and I invested it in my gyms and that's when I opened my gyms and he still had probably another six or seven years and a championship in his future but yeah. he was already thinking about what am I going to do beyond this and I uh, I feel like a problem with a lot of these guys is they don't think that way. They think, I'm a fighter, I'm in a fight, and, you know, somebody's going to have to literally drag me out of this octagon to get me to stop. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, they're, kind of, they're kind of bred with that mentality. It's, it's like even, even with, like, uh, stoppages, you know, they, they, nobody wants to stop. Don't stop this fight. Don't throw in the towel. I, I'm a fighter. I'm going to be in here fighting. And even if they're, you know, to the point where they've they've been concussed or anything else, they're, they, you know, they're basically blacked out and they're still regurgitating the things like, no, don't stop it. I'm fine. I can see. Or yeah, you know, don't, don't ever, don't ever ask uh, ask the don't 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 let the fighter make the call. Yeah. Um, if you're in the fighter's the fighter's corner, you have an obligation to to um, to be, to throw in the towel uh, um, to save him, mm-hmm. you know, to to make that call in his best interest. And you know, after the fight, he may be furious at me, or maybe you know, or may have felt like, yeah, I was I was in trouble, and you know, maybe you know, or, or maybe after maybe after a few days, or sometimes it's been my experience, maybe after a few weeks. They come to that conclusion that I that I made the right call for them, but but I, I feel that that's important that that you know a fight a, a fighter you know and someone who someone who's got that fire in their heart doesn't ever want to stop doesn't want right. ever doesn't want to ever go out and give up mm-hmm. like you know you, you you know they want to go out on their shield so um, you know no no surprise that even at at you know the masters league yeah <laughs> they, they still want to get out there and they want to they want to compete for you know paychecks and and pride and victory so yeah um i want to uh i want to transition back to 
I promised everybody we would get back to the alcohol. Oh, yeah. You told me an awesome story about your Muay Thai coach who you, uh, who you mentioned earlier and how he used to go to Thailand all the time. And they would drink a particular kind of spirit all yeah. the time, and he introduced something new to them. And this is an awesome story to me, so I was hoping... Oh, absolutely. We, we, could get, absolutely. we could get this story on the show. Sure. So, uh, so, my, so my friend, Matt Nielsen, uh, it, Matt, Matt's, a, Matt's a great guy, um, one of my best friends, um, one of the best Muay Thai coaches uh, I've, ever, I've ever met, De- definitely one of, of the best uh, uh, Farang coaches. Uh, Matt goes to Thailand um, a, a few times every year and trains at some of the some of the best schools he can uh, to to learn um, you know really authentic Muay Thai uh-huh. and um, uh, Matt uh, happened uh, recently Matt's been visiting uh, schools in Isan which is one of the um, poorest uh, sections or poorest poorest regions of Thailand it's really the it's really the the rice farmers the rice fields of Thailand but yeah as 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 is always the case across the world, um, poverty makes some of the best fighters, and some of, of the, some of the best nakmoi that you'll ever see come out of come out of these these farm these farms. And um, Matt was was uh, in a in a village in Isan, mm-hmm. and they drank uh, basically the uh, I forget the name uh, cow. It's it's a it's it's a Thai version of like a moonshine. It's like a rum. It's 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 basically pretty harsh. Uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> harsh, nasty, white lightning, hot. Yeah, you know, nasty stuff. They're not and, sipping it out of and, sifters um, and putting little drops yeah. of water no, in no, it. No, 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 no. They're just drinking a boatload and just getting just getting uh, 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 snookered. And, yeah. And so, <laughs> snookered. so um, uh, Matt wanted to, Matt uh, was trying to think of uh, a gift. I think he, he had uh, on previous visits had had brought them a couple other different types of booze. He had brought them a. Uh, um, uh, uh, Cuban rum, uh, he, he, you can get there, of course. And he, they, they, had, you know, really liked it. I think they, they kind of like, oh, what's, what's Matt going to bring us this time? Matt brought him a bottle of Patron, uh-huh. <laughs> and the ties, they loved it. They, yeah, they like, they, they, to them, it was like, like this, this stuff is great, and they loved it so much that they they kept the bottle the patron bottle and that they would that they would take their moonshine and they would pour it into the patron and then act and then kind of just keep their 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 liquor in the patron bottle like like it was you know like a special properties to to be in the patron bottle so. yeah that's awesome now they they were introduced to why there are so many rap songs written about patron <laughs> <laughs> and it it's crazy how um, you know, they, they kind of like, and that's my favorite part of the story, how they would refill the bottle. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. like, it's yeah. almost like they, they worshiped it. It was like a, they, they like made the bottle of crystal. Yeah. Like you wanted, you wanted to be the guy at the party holding the bottle, the Patron bottle. Yeah. And it's, it's just filled back up with like, with moonshine <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, or whatever you got. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. It, it's amazing. Like, um, at, at the end of the day, fighting an alcohol are two of the things that can really bring people together across cultures and across communities and across the world. I think sure. if there's a third thing, it's probably music. Um, 
which I know you're you're a musician as well. If you throw food in there, you've pretty much captured my life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's pretty much capturing life. Foodies, yeah. Talk 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 about good good eating, good drinking, uh, uh, good good music, and good fighting, and that's that's I think you've pretty much that's all I care about. (laughs) Yeah. I it's hard to find. I women. There's 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 another one. Um, Sure. uh, But then you know you want to find course the right woman who you can share all the food and yeah right and booze right. And, yeah well you, she's gotta she's gotta like all she's gotta like all the, the yeah. rest of the things and she's gotta tolerate you coming home covered in bruises and yeah my poor my, my wife has uh has has uh, there's been you know uh numerous you know numerous times where 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 i've uh i've she's been waiting on me or, 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 uh, you know, um, uh, events or things have been postponed because, because of, of fighting or fights or training or, yeah. or things, you know, and she's patiently just, uh, big, big sigh and be like, of course, of course. Yeah. Sure, sure. But she knows, she also understands, I'm sure, like what your life would be like without it. Like this is, it's what makes you, who you are because I feel like it takes there's something about a person who gets into this lifestyle and it's it's a lifestyle that you're either all the way into or you're not there, there's very few people I feel like who just have like one foot in the pond when it comes to combat sports and and martial arts it's like you either get it and and it's your life or, or you don't and it, when you're not around it or you can't train it like affects you mentally because i know i've been through injuries I, you and i have, have had many discussions about this where like I, c- I couldn't train for months you know because i had this or that and and um you know it really it really affects your your mental state when you can't be around it sure yeah i, I definitely think that the you know the 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 chemicals released by training mm-hmm. that you know be, become uh, uh, an important part, uh, of, and and when when you can't train, uh, you you go into you know withdrawals or you miss that feeling or the, that release, uh, um, whether it's the the stress release or, or the 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 joy or the exhaustion of, mm-hmm. of training, and I I definitely agree um, that um, particularly with with combat sports, um, and I, I think that that um, uh, I, I think you can um, dabble at first, and and and, and you've been around now. Um, you've probably seen scores, maybe dozens, of white belts that maybe started out before, or even at much much later after you mm-hmm. that like came in and trained, and then something happened in their life, and they got out. Because, yeah. like you said, you pretty much like this is if if you're going to pursue combat sports, uh, you know, jujitsu, uh, mixed martial arts, strike striking, and the, these things, you 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 have to go kind of all all in, and, yeah. and you really kind of have to have to live it to do it well. Mm-hmm. Because if if you don't, if you only dabble, um, it'll be very hard to make progress, and then you'll pretty much only be. Uh, everybody will be the hammer and you'll always be the nail yeah and and that's no fun at all yeah <laughs> and that like mentally you'll just be like man i you'll someday that guy will you know 
uh, the guy who just dabbles will just someday be like, I'm no good at this. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm never going to be good. And he'll either quit or, or he'll, he'll have to pivot and invest more sure. time or focus. It takes you know? a certain kind of person, too, that wants that humbling feeling. Like Most people don't want to be humbled. And I feel like you see, I mean, you see people come and go all the time who come sure, in and sure. they're, they're either like very athletic or maybe they lift weights a lot or, oh, I've or got, they... I've got stories, man. I've, 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 got, <laughs> I've got stories of guys, of, of, of men for all kinds of different reasons yeah. that came in the gym and right away wanted to like test themselves sure. against against people yeah you know and we we sometimes sometimes depending on the gym or the environment we try to do it very diplomatically or talk dissuade them yeah and then other times we've been like did he sign the waiver (laughs) game on man and we you know some of these some of these guys just have to learn the hard way and we've been there been there before and you never see them again yeah and that's it right they they come in they they act tough um round the end of round one they've got a bloody lip or ble- their nose is bleeding yeah and they go to the restroom and then hey where'd that where'd that new kid go no he he i saw him walking out to the parking lot he took off gone and he's yep. gone. i always equate it too to like um i i think about this is my reference ace ventura 2 when he when he's in, he goes into the tribe and then like the big guy comes out and then he turns around and he's got the little guy in the backpack and it, and he jumps out and he's like, come on, I gotta fight him. It's like somebody like that walks into the gym and they're like, okay, you really want to test yourself? Uh, go roll with that 135 pound guy over there for five minutes and they're like, you gotta be kidding me. And then that guy mangles them <laughs> like yeah. so so it's it's uh it's kind of like that it's that it's that humbling experience i think that a lot of people don't like it and they don't have a taste for it but then there are people who can't get enough of it and they want to constantly you know go against somebody who can humble them and then it's like wait a second how did you do that to me because right. I, I know yeah. i know what i'm doing I know you have experiences like this because, like, we were talking before about the triangle choke. Um, a, a great example you told. I'll, I'll let you tell how how you uh, how you mastered your triangle. But um, you 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 constantly want to, you know, learn more and go with people who can humble you so you can learn what they know. Sure. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the keys and like I've I've. Um, just fallen or been fortunate enough um, for me. Um, I, I grew up in um, in an environment of combat sports, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't even think it, it wasn't really combat sports. It was you know boxing and wrestling, and yeah. it, it was. I knew it. I, I thought of it as as fighting mm-hmm. and and re- wrestling. I never really thought of them as martial arts. I never really thought of them as martial arts until until the UFC. To be quite honest, I knew they were fighting. Yeah. I, knew, I knew you could whoop somebody. You could double leg them and smash them and beat on them, and and I, you know, I knew you could to, could lay hands on somebody and knock them out and beat them up. But I never thought of them as martial arts. Yeah. Or I never really even heard the term combat sports um, until. But um, from the time I was a little kid, um, and my, my dad, uh, um, we would watch uh, Sunday 
afternoon matinee, we would watch the Western movie. Okay. And then we would watch, uh, usually after the Western, um, there was either a 30-minute episode of Kung Fu or, or The Wild Wild West. And to, the, to this day, they are two of my favorite shows because, because they, like, like, that's where, like, martial arts, wow. Like, uh-huh. you know, and then I saw, you know, you, of course, like, you know, it's, it's, like the, it's like the progression. It's like the, the, the um, stepping stone to, like, uh-huh. Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. And then you're like, what? Well, like, this is martial arts. And yeah. I've, been, I've been obsessed with the martial arts ever since. Um, but it's, it's a curious mind. And I think that, that, uh-huh. that's the difference. Um, like you mentioned the ego and I, I don't I think like smashing your ego all the time for 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 most people is really uncomfortable and really it yeah it, it you like I don't know who I am I thought I was this person but then you beat me up and now I'm I don't know if I'm have any self-worth mm-hmm. but I think the curious person says uh, uh, says man I just I just rolled with with four black belts and they just thrashed me in four completely different ways. Yep. Holy cow! I'm like, I'm going like the next time I get back to the gym, I'm going to remember that thing that he did, and I'm going to like, I'm going to make sure that that I do that whenever, like, whenever I'm in that position. And it's it's the like the curious mindset to me is like the curious person. If you're curious about martial arts and you want to continue to always build, always build, oh, yeah. and you find that it, it never ends, that there's always some aspect of this particularly with mixed martial arts yeah. because we're not just just trying to master jujitsu or trying to master wrestling or trying mm-hmm. to master striking it's it's all the transitions in between that, that make it this yeah you know, such such a such a big thing you know um, um sure that that it seems never ending but that's that to me is what what keeps me going that curiosity yeah. like like um uh, there's, I'm, it's never over. There's mm-hmm. always something to improve and get better and and keep going. Yeah, it's. I like what you said about smashing the ego, and how it it's uncomfortable because I think it's natural as humans, like we want to feel good about ourselves. So, it takes a certain kind of person to put yourself in a situation where you're made to feel like you can't do something or you're you're put in some discomfort and and it. And your ego is put in check, and it, it's finding comfort in that discomfort. Absolutely, there you go. Um, that's it. That's the key. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just, I just, that just came to me while yeah, while you were sure. talking, the, and I wanted the, to, that, I wanted to slip that in there. That, that's and that, I mean, as 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 a person aside from martial arts, like who who studies history and and likes uh, philosophy and different things. I mean, you you find that mentality in like ancient ancient Greek stoicism. Mm-hmm. You find that kill you know uh kill that self-ego in in buddhism cultures i mean you find that that's i think it's a pretty um a pretty healthy uh mentality to have is is that like if you if you think you you have it down you're wrong yeah you're so wrong you're you're you've you haven't got it you you gotta you gotta keep going yeah, it's like the people are like, oh, I could do that UFC stuff, and <laughs> <laughs> sure, you know they watch sure, on TV and sure. you know they they're they're the keyboard warriors out there, and you know we got a few of them that listen to the show and they they chime in every now and then, and it's always fun, and um, you, you know you just kind of you just kind of smile, but like yeah, it's it's 
it is about finding. Well, we smile. We smile because uh, we know the truth. And, yeah. And 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 if if um, I'll never forget, and this is for the for the podcast. I think my my introduction into jujitsu, Brazilian oh, jujitsu, is is, is 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 to me both like um, it it was like a blessing and a curse. It was like my ego. Yeah. But and this in but but I I. Um, through the analysis of what happened, mm-hmm. it forever changed changed me in a positive way. Yeah. Um, uh, long story uh, short, um, this was um, back in uh, ninety nine two thousand, so circa circa that time frame, and the message boards were really the only way people could talk about yeah mixed mixed martial arts, you know, and that was really MMA was really kept alive because yeah. it was off of cable. At, at that time, you know, so like the early, early days, and, the underground, exactly, yeah. Musel's Forum, mm-hmm. in the guard, in HP gear. And here I am, this, um, I felt like, you know, man, I'm, I'm a great wrestler. I'm a pretty, pretty accomplished kickboxer now. I can, you know, I box. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, you know, I feel like I'm a badass. Uh-huh. And here's this, you know, there's these jujitsu guys on the internet. And they're, <laughs> they're on the message boards and they're rude and they're disrespectful and they're, they're brash. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought like, oh, man, like these guys are jerks. Well, then they pointed that that jerk stick at me and then they started to to like insult me mm-hmm. and i thought like hey man like i don't know who you are but like let's like i want to i want to meet you in person <laughs> i want to <laughs> keep your butt i want to fight you well i finally got i finally got one of them to like like okay i'll fight you and test like okay this we're gonna see this stuff now you know i'm thinking like i've watched you know i'm 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 was currently training in kickboxing. Yeah, you know, and I'm and I'm thinking like I've been watching these UFCs. I know I watch that little skinny Brazilian kid shoot in and do a crappy uh, double leg or single leg takedown on these on these untrained kickboxer guys. Yeah, and go to the ground and do tricks. I didn't really pay attention much to what was happening on the ground, but I yeah. knew he would choke them. That's ulti- what it looked like ultimately. to a lot of people. So so yeah. you know, and I, I didn't I really dismissed what he was doing because. I was just ignorant of 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 the methods, mm-hmm. you know, and so I literally go out into a, a park, a big open, you know, duck pond in the middle of park, <laughs> you know, and I, I I meet this other other kid, you know, and the, so so we're these two guys standing in this park, and you're like, you know, and like how like. What do you do? Like enter the drag? Like enter? You know, some <laughs> doctor come up? No, we just okay. And we just kind of start standing there, and I'm just like okay, and I'm kind of rushing at this guy, and I want. He's been basically disrespecting me for like a month on the internet. Mm-hmm. I want to kill him, and he's just kind of circling away, circling away, and I'm running around, and I'm, I'm kind of. You know, when you're in that mode and the adrenaline's going, I think time plays kind of tricks on you. Time, it seems a lot longer than what it really was, right? Yeah. And 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 we're, we're running around and we're not, I'm really not making any progress. I'm whiffing, I'm swinging at him. I try to kick him his legs a couple of times and he just kept kind of leaning away and running away. And there's yeah. no, there's no encaged area. We're just kind of moving, we're just kind of migrating around <laughs> this big open park in the grass, you know? It's like old um, ladies feeding yeah, the right, ducks well, watching yeah, you. Yeah, I don't, you know, you know and, and what we would really, uh, ironically, the the person, you know, pedestrian that that broke it up, but, but, um, and ultimately, I, I felt like, okay, I'm. I felt like I can't hit him. I'm losing. Yeah. He's going to say like that guy couldn't do anything to me. Right. And I felt like suddenly I felt like the pressure is on me to resolve this fight, 
and I shot in, I, my wrestling instincts kick in. Sure. I shoot in for a takedown, and as soon as I took him down, he did this thing. I don't know. Now I know, of course, he shrimped and recovered his guard. He put me in his closed guard, mm-hmm. and he held on for dear life. And at this point, I, you know, I had never, this, is, this isn't a move um, familiar to any wrestler. Wrestlers don't go to their backs, and they sure don't lay in a body scissor motion. Nope. So I'm, I'm trying to punch his arms, and he's hold, grabbing my arms, and he's overhooking me, and he's holding me down. And I don't know how to remove, I don't know how to resolve this problem. He couldn't sweep me. He tried to sit up a couple times, and I'm trying to threaten him with punching and pushing down on him. My base is good. I'm a wrestler. Yeah. Right? But I couldn't do anything, and I certainly couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, one uh, somebody yells, uh, um, hey, cops are coming, cops. And I hear the cops CB radio, and here comes a little park police guy with his little yellow shirt on and his bicycle antenna, and he's he's coming over to us. And, and we both jump up and, and take off to our cars. Mm-hmm. And it just that moment like burn a hole in my brain and i and i i thought like because maybe and here's the curious mindset i i thought like this guy didn't have anything for me he couldn't attack me but the moment i took him down to the ground Mm -hmm. he knew exactly what he was doing and where he wanted to go and he did that trick and he put me in and i like i don't know what he did or how to stop it like i want to know that trick yeah and so that and Right, right away, less probably less than two weeks later, I ent- I enrolled in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo and began like I got to figure out this ground fighting stuff and I yeah. from that point on I began to like dive into you know Nawaza what is ground fighting what is ground grappling you know yeah and it's interesting because before we were talking about you know the different styles and like what you focus on and everything and wrestling you get to a certain position and it's like okay we're done now. Uh, so when somebody's doing something different and they're putting themselves in that position that would be a loss in wrestling, it's like hard to wrap your head around. Like, why is this guy? Why is he just going on his going on his back? Is this not what you're supposed to do? So like talking about like the MMA fighter versus the boxer and like the wrestler versus the jujitsu practitioner, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like what makes MMA awesome is like all how all these things interact and what works and what doesn't work and how certain body types are successful at certain things and and yeah. how styles make fights and sure and 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 going back to our, our an earlier point um you know as as a, a lifelong wrestler i mean i wrestled from kindergarten through college at that point so um i was getting when i first joined jujitsu I was getting killed with with chokes because I didn't go to my back. Mm-hmm. Whenever someone would would move around or pass my guard, I would turn over. I would turtle, yep. and they would just they would be on my back choking me, or they or I would be guillotine choked. I was just getting destroyed. Yep. And I just like, what am I doing wrong? What don't I understand about this jujitsu thing? Like the position, like I can't. And I would at at some point, I just had to just accept like realize that that stop going to my back and i would find myself i would come out of a scramble and someone would pass my guard Mm -hmm. and i might come up onto my hands and knees and then i would just nope and i I would just like flip (laughs) flip over like some form of i i don't know like a fainting goat (laughs) i would just roll over roll over and then like nope i have to start from my guard i have to get i have to get used to this position yeah And, and and but that but that kind of talks in i guess 
that that kind of piecemeals, you know, um, training of these different arts in those days. Sure. Um, if you trained in wrestling, you didn't get the 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 important position, the the ground positioning of jujitsu. Right. And if you and if you um, uh, you know train trained um, um, in jujitsu, you didn't get the 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 importance of of taking someone down into uh, a position that allowed immediate dominant yeah. transition. You know, side control, top control, mount position, all of these things. So. You know, uh, um, you know, uh, catching a kick and then mm-hmm. taking somebody down off of off of a caught kick yep. into a single leg, which you know, and and it wasn't until you until you started doing mixed martial arts that you got like important transitions that actually that happened in mixed martial arts. You weren't going to get kick catching in in any other art other than training mixed martial arts. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure, and. Um... Yeah, it's interesting, like how how you have to learn to to put all those pieces together. There's always like the the funny pictures and videos of like the jujitsu guy getting in a street fight, and it's like, all right, let's go. And then the jujitsu guy drops to his butt, and he's like, come on, <laughs> and he starts like scooting back. Um, so yeah, like it, there there are like all these different pieces at play. Like even if you're an expert in one thing, like there's somebody else who's practicing something different who has a counter for it yep. that you you might not have thought about before um great point about the the butt flopping about jujitsu mm-hmm. because i i um um we have uh this has been something that i talk about um with with fellow instructors and just old jujitsu heads in general is is that um our generation of of jujitsu guys, you know, and I'm putting myself in guys that started doing jujitsu in 2000, 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. kind of in, in that time, we got into um, jujitsu almost exclusively through mixed martial arts. Right. Like jujitsu was an important um, fighting vehicle. Like like you to be a good fighter, you had to know jujitsu because jujitsu was important in in a street fight and a self defense fight in yeah. mix, in mixed martial arts. Um, today, I would say the the bulk of just about everyone's jujitsu schools and academies, um, the students join um, there to to learn jujitsu, but that is probably their street or their their path probably ends at sport jujitsu, and yeah. the, and the, they learn jujitsu kind of the sport of Brazilian jujitsu, mm-hmm. uh, the art. They rarely they rarely think about the application of jujitsu. In the street fight, the Valley Tudo fight, the old yeah. school Gracie, um, um, some and I, I'm I'm sometimes surprised. I will come across in in traveling. I'll I'll like say, hey, do you know the 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 punch block sequence? You know, position two, position three. What if if they posture up, Valley Valley Tudo guard? And sometimes the sport guys will just give me this look like, yeah, no, bro, I don't I don't do mixed martial arts. We don't we never do any striking. Mm-hmm. We just do you know I can show you um, a million different De La Hiva guard variations with your with your gi sleeve and the wrap and i can show you worm guard but i can't show you i don't know how to do mm-hmm. punch block kind of of, of yeah. you know you know kind of closed guard system stuff and i think like wow the that there's a um there's a culture shift yeah that really came like like you know most jujitsu instructors now their student base are um are are the um the, the the recreational um, uh, ju- sport jujitsu student you know mm-hmm. who wears the gi a couple times 
uh, a class as as to opposed to like the Valley Tudo uh, Brazilian top team bad boy uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Marilla you know uh, Mario Sperry Marilla Bustamante like Valley Tudo fighters those Mandalay guys Silva. those guys were yeah. my like jujitsu heroes yeah like if if you know to this day like I still think about you know um, like my blueprint for jujitsu and MMA is largely set by like those early fighters like yeah get the takedown establish, establish dominant position um beat your way into it pass pass their guard <laughs> get get to the mount get to the back um beat them up some more and choke them out and finish the fight like yeah. like that like you know that 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 um carlson gracie old school path like of of jujitsu fighting you know the yeah. jujitsu fighters mm-hmm. like you know th- those those days and I think of like how different, um, you know, uh, if 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 I were to ask some of my uh, some of the serious students at the gym now who their role models for jujitsu might be, I'm sure they would they would be probably um, um, the Meow brothers or Keenan Cornelius or yeah. or um, maybe some of the uh, some of the submission grappling leg lock phenomenons guys. Gary you know, Tonin. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, uh, yeah, those 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 kind of guys. Like their their um, uh, jujitsu is is different. Mm-hmm. You know, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you kind of brought up those old school guys because I want to get to this is the the last question I had prepared. And somebody asked, I was I appeared on another podcast a couple of days ago, and somebody mm-hmm. asked me this, and. I kind of knew the question was coming, but it was still difficult for me to answer because I'm so involved in this sport and I think about it so much. And that is, who is your favorite MMA fighter of all time? And I, wow. I, I had a hard time. I'll, I'll, I'll let you mull this one over for a second, mm. but it took me a while and I feel like I would have a different answer depending on the day because... You know, there there are people who, you know, we watch fight and there's, for whatever reason, there's a connection with them or, you know, maybe they fight the way you see yourself fighting in your ideal form. And then there are guys who, you know, like an Anderson Silva, I know I could never fight like that, but holy shit, it's it's awesome to watch. Um, So when I was going through my Rolodex of fighters... I noticed it was more so the former, and it was guys like I kind of associated with. Like if I were if I were in my optimal form, like maybe this is what it would look like, and that's how I projected myself. What so, was your answer? My answer was Dan Henderson. Hendo. Um, nice, nice. And just because thinking about like his career and his attitude, and like he would fight anybody. Like, what, oh, what's this guy, black belt in jiu-jitsu? All right, I'll fight him. Oh, what's this guy, a knockout specialist? All right, I'll fight him. And then he fought, you know, heavyweight. He fought middleweight. He fought light heavyweight. Just like... Well, I think there's a great, like, like you know, there's a great... Hendo is a great example of a guy who... who, who um, what, where, as a Randy Couture might have really analyzed and broken down his opponent's... Mm-hmm. game plans and strategies hendo just was hendo and he just came in and and, yeah. and his strategy was 
impose my will and my yep. fight on the other guy. Yep. Make them fight. If I want to wrestle, we're going to wrestle. If I'm going, we're going to bang, and you're going to you're going to eat the yeah. you're going to eat the H bomb. H bomb. <laughs> if you're dumb enough yeah. to stay here at the end of this thing. Maybe even a, a circle into it there, Michael Bisping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just, we're just uh, you know, I think Hendo's, Hendo's a way, you know, ha- had a way of imposing his fight on on the other fighters, yeah. especially back in the Pride days when when the international fighters didn't have the ability, the wrestling ability mm-hmm. to to deal with Dan. Right. You know, and, and Hendo was the guy that could stand there and he was happily willing to trade punches with you if you wanted to go you know you want to trade right hooks and overhand you know left 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 hooks and overhands hendo's your man yep try to take him down good luck with that yeah exactly so uh Mm, that um, that was like but you know my answer would depend uh would depend on my mood that day because i also like as a shorter guy uh when i first started getting into mixed martial arts i looked at guys like jen's pulver who's like, you know, this guy's tiny. He's smaller than me. And, he, you know, he's a wrestler, and he's he's getting in there and, and knocking guys out. So, like, he was he was one of my major uh, idols when I first started getting into the sport. And then, you know, as I was going down the list, it was always guys that had, like, a wrestling base and, and knocked people out. And, like, that, that was, like, the one. Uh, so I'm not letting you off the hook on this one. Okay. What's... What's uh what's the verdict here? Mm. And I'm sure you're pretty similar. The answer could change I, depending. I, I will, yeah, for, for sure. Um, different, but I will say that I probably actually I thought about this recently just because um, um, someone had asked me a similar question, and I would think that that um, just for his fighting style. Um, uh, I will always be a, a, a Vanderlei Silva fan. The prime axe murderer back, you know, go back to, I th- was it 2003 Pride yeah. Grand Prix? You go, go go back to those days. Just just the baddest dude, just a savage. Yeah. Just his his ability to, to brawl and maul and knee his way mm-hmm. um, through those, his opponents was just... Just a ferocious guy, like a and, Tasmanian. Devil. Yeah, just just really was, and I've always been like when it comes to my to, to the strikers, I've always been in love. Like like Ramon Decker mm-hmm. is 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 one of my uh, favorite fighters. Fighters, pure combat sport of yeah, all yeah. time, just because of of the way he fought, and he fought with like he fought with 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 everything. Like he wore his heart on his sleeve, and mm-hmm. like and and I thought that Vanderlei had like. Had that kind of spirit too, that 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 uh, warrior spirit, um, but um, uh, I love Fedor too, like, yeah. Because Fedor to me, like as you said, like like as someone who wanted like like um, if I, if there was someone I thought that could um, represent, you know, if, if if I could someday strive strive to be like someone, uh-huh. I would want to fight like Fedor, like. Um, smart, accurate, um, technical, um, um, uh, calm. Like you know, I mean, so calm. How how do you remain calm when when uh, you're getting sl- when you're getting your, oh when you're going to get when you're going to get slammed on your head by Kevin Randleman and he's just 
Okay, I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna get out of this Kimura grip, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn over into side control, and I'm gonna recover from this. That was. It has to be one of the most insane comebacks of all time. He got slammed on his neck by a literal monster. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a, yeah. the yeah, one yeah. of the most fitting nicknames, and. Like nothing, he just went with it. Like you go limp, like you're supposed to do in a car crash, but everybody tenses up, uh, and it, he just did exactly what he was supposed to do and stayed calm and like came back and well, finished. Yeah, the fight. he not only stayed calm, but he he used he used the position to recover. Yeah, and then he moved into the dominant position and, and finished the fight. Yeah, like he he not only kept his composure, but then he turned it around to his advantage and. That that to me was like you know talk about the the Bob Sap pile driver yeah. you know, Minotaro move yeah, move yeah. like that's that's where you're like jujitsu is magical. <laughs> you know? and, there there and, there is so yeah there are a lot of those magical moments where you're just like how does this person do this thing and I think that's another thing that keeps driving people to to want to learn more because even at even at that level. They still have more to learn, you know. They they have holes. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I don't I don't think and and you know I I, I think you know di- um, I, I, as we can see you know watch the match with um, Verdum and things. Um, Fedor isn't 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 a perfect fighter. He's yeah. he's got holes. There there are things about his his style yeah. that leave him susceptible to to be exploited. Oh but, yeah, but you know you, you got to take the fighter on the on on the day in the moment and and you know. And Fedor had had you know some some epic fights and, yeah. and really definitely one of one of my favorite fighters of all sure. time. Absolutely. He also had like that Tyson effect where he like beat people before they got in the ring because he he had this mystique about him. He couldn't really do interviews because he only spoke Russian and like even when he would do them with an interpreter, they were very short and to the point. Like yeah, I'm gonna go and just so cold, so motionless. Like he was. He was a scary dude, and uh, it, it took it took someone like Radum who was like, "Well, you know, I got this magic power," and and believed in it, and it, you know, it becomes like almost like a real life fairy tale sometimes, as as like cliche as that may sound. But it's like, yeah, I have this power, and and I believe in this power, and I can use it on people, and and you know, that's how upsets like that happen, and and that's what makes this sport amazing i mean who 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 picked verdum to to be the one to beat the the last emperor and and yeah (laughs) yeah very very i mean i mean i i don't i yeah i think the mystique allowed allowed us to kind of sleep on verdum's jiu-jitsu yeah like we we, you know we knew he was a good fighter he knew he he had good jiu-jitsu and knew he could strike pretty pretty well yeah um before that but but um i you know uh, at that at that time, I kind of thought you you know I think I was probably one of those people thinking like damn man I wish I I wish they why couldn't they have made that Randy Fedor fight like that was the fight at that you know at at their prime like yeah. both when both were still competing that we really wanted to to see um, and it didn't happen you know like oh I guess we got to settle with uh, Fedor and Showtime fight, fighting these guys okay all right. yeah that that Fedor Randy Couture fight was a bigger tease than- well I, you know. I, I, I and and uh, damn you Josh Barnett damn you I, um, <laughs> the um, 
Thanks for the, watching, the, Josh. The, the affliction, <laughs> the uh, the affliction fight. I, I really wanted to see the the Josh, Josh Barnett Fedor fight that mm. never happened. Yeah, in, in affliction that I thought like the, like like what a great match these two stylistically the submission grappler yeah. Josh Barnett against against uh-huh. the the sambo combat sambo fighter Fedor like yeah. would have been you know would have been a great matchup at the time too. Yeah, and Josh Barnett is another one who comes up on my list like one of my all time favorites as well and just to kind of tie everything together when i went to japan last october i went uh and i saw ufc at the saitama arena where they had you know so many epic pride events and it it was one of the most awesome experiences of my life to see mma in japan and josh barnett was the headliner against roy nelson um you know it was a it was a good fight very back and forth went to distance um, you know, two guys that are real tough to finish. And I was like, I got to see Josh Barnett fight in Japan and speak Japanese to the audience and watch them go nuts. And, it, yeah. uh, so at the end of the trip, I'm in the airport and I'm in the duty free, tr- picking up some, uh, some Japanese whiskey to take home with me. And my girlfriend says like, Hey, isn't that that guy we saw? fight the other night and I turn and look and here's this monster like in there like looking at you know bottles he's a, he's a big whiskey drinker too so I was like that's Josh Barnett it was like seeing like th- this is like seeing like yeah, a mean s- Joe Green like uh, you just waiting for the, the yeah this is like seeing a superhero <laughs> yeah, this cool. is like if Superman was standing there so like I went over and uh he he was with his girlfriend. Did I just really make a Mean Joe Green reference? Like, man, I, was, I guess I just <laughs> seriously like. Well, for one, I'm from the Ohio Valley, so everybody was a Steelers fan. But second, the the classic commercial where the kid, the kid, the, 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 the kids walking the out to the uh, ironic and you have yeah. Mean Joe Green a Coke. Yeah. In this case, it was it was uh, Josh Barnett, and there was whiskey. So oh, yeah, there you go. If he had if he had handed me the whiskey, this would have been like <laughs> a little a little ten year old Bill Welker would have been like. Oh my God, Josh Barnett! Oh, a Habiki. <laughs> and maybe that could be the new commercial. But like, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Who's with his girlfriend? Who's a pro fighter, Colleen Snyder? Uh, she's been on the podcast, and she's totally awesome. Uh, big whiskey drinker herself, and she fights for Bellator now. Um, and yeah, so that was like one of the most awesome experiences of my life, like seeing. UFC at the Saitama Arena and then, you know, happening to bump into the headliner of all places shopping for whiskey. <laughs> it was it was like the perfect there you go. Fighter, perfect scenario. Fighter, fighters and fighters and whiskey. Yeah. I don't think I've ever even uh, told that story on the uh, on the podcast, but I think uh I've gone through my questions for my interview. Is there anything you wanna get off your chest and let and let the people know? Or uh, shall we move on and 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 have a drink off air? Um, no, nothing, nothing for me. Okay. Um, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been been great, great chatting with you here and uh, uh, meeting everybody at the podcast. And yeah. Talking and um, if uh, um, I am, uh, I can always be found at uh, Gracie Clearwater. Yeah. And uh, if. Uh, interested in doing what we do and training uh, you'll find you'll find me there yeah uh, coach uh, teaches the the intro jujitsu classes at Gracie Clearwater and 
you know, he's he's always on the mats, uh, training yep. with everybody. I, I am a mat rat. Uh, any social media you want to plug? People can find you. Um, Take a look at that. Uh, yeah, that inst- beautiful inst- mug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Instagram. Uh, you def- um, I don't even know what my Instagram handle is. William Eslake, WD Eslake, something like that. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, post it out there. Um, um, Facebook. Uh, I, I Facebook, but I usually, you know, I kind of keep my my facebook uh um people usually yeah. cl- close close to my friends and family anybody i could anybody i could reach out and be like what are you doing yeah. you know? so oh, we got a whole so, podcast family out so, there so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah if you want to you know i but i i put up uh, most most of my uh, uh um, public stuff or clips of things we do or whatever to my to my instagram instagram so. all right so we'll get that posted for everybody i'll throw it up on the on the Facebook page, and, and I'll, I'll tag Coach in the Instagram post for this episode. Uh, of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, a- anywhere on the internet. You guys know how to find me by now. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your wonderful Japanese whiskey with me and sharing your stories and your knowledge. Um, Thanks. I had an awesome time with this interview, so hopefully we do it again. All right. All right. Let's get another drink. That's all we got. We're going to have another drink. As for the rest of you, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.